Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word brings light. It lifts burdens. Uh, Thank you because it breaks yokes. Thank you because it illuminates our path. Thank you because it heals wounds in our hearts, in our souls. It also heals our bodies. It does all these and more, Heavenly Father. And we're so grateful for your precious word. Uh, Give us revelation of your word. Let it speak to us personally. Um, as we listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We've been on, on this series where we've been dealing with the heart. And our foundation text, um, as you remember, it was taken out of Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Uh, the New King James Version says, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Yeah, so the Bible charges us, be diligent, keeping your heart, uh, taking care of it, uh, protecting your heart. Because from your heart flow the issues of life. If you're concerned about life, then you have to be concerned about your heart. Uh, the New Living Translation would put it this way. Guard your heart above all else. Uh, prioritize what you do with your heart. Prioritize how you protect it, how you guard it, for it determines the cause of your life. Those are heavy statements. Your heart determines the cause of your life. If you know you, you, what, that this determines the cause of your life, then there's a responsibility on you to guard it. Um, and the, I love the Passion Translation, that same scripture, Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, so above all, again, prioritizing, above everything else, More important than anything, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. What is going on inside affects all that you are. Pay attention, the Bible says, to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Yeah, It tells us that your heart is is critical, it's important. It determines the cause of life. It, it, it affects who you are. So guard it, protect it, be diligent uh, with regards to your heart. Now, of course, as we've said um, in this series, it's not talking about our physical heart. It's not talking about that muscle that sits somewhere on the left side of our chest and pumps blood through our bodies. That's very important in a natural sense. Uh, if something goes wrong there, that's a major challenge. But it's talking about our heart as the seat of our emotions, as the place where decisions are made, uh, the place that determines how our lives work out, the place where we, where, where, where we think through things, where our emotions sit, where our will exists. That is what it's talking about when it says we should guard our hearts. Now, if our heart is so important, if it is such a priority, if it determines the cause of life, if it affects who we are, um, and if we understand that we do have an adversary, I'm sure you agree with me that a focal point for him would be the heart. 
because he knows that if he can cause some damage in the heart, bring a wound into the heart, if he can pollute the heart, then he can affect the wellsprings of life. And, and, and if I were him, and I'm not, I would focus my attention on doing that. Because if I can cause a heart to be wounded, I can affect a person's life. And the interesting thing is that there's ample opportunity for him to do that. There are many things we go through in life, many circumstances we face that create the opportunity for him to damage our hearts. That's why the Bible says, let's be careful to make sure it's not damaged. Guard it. Be diligent. Prioritize your safeguarding of your heart. Protect it. Because if it is damaged, then a life is damaged. Uh, and so he says, guard it. And, and there's ample opportunity in the normal things that we deal with in life. The relationships we have. The circumstances we face. Uh, the challenges we face on a day-to-day -day basis. The list goes on and on. The pressures that we are under. Some of them pressures that are external. Some of them pressures that we put upon ourselves. There's the, the words that we have spoken, words that we speak um, to ourselves, uh, words that we allow to enter our, our spirit and enter our minds, words that we should have killed off but we have allowed to grow in us, and crucially, words that are spoken to us by other people, words that can sometimes be hateful, spiteful, demeaning, that are spoken to us and have already done damage in our hearts. There's ample opportunity for the many negative emotions that come as a result of these wounds in our hearts. The heavy hearts, the hopelessness, the discouragement, the dejection, the sadness, the fear, the heartache, the, 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 the mourning. And no, there's nothing wrong with mourning. We're expected to mourn, but the mourning mustn't get into the, the area where it is morbid mourning. Uh, that is suffocating, the grief, the, 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 the sorrow that can suffocate. The list goes on and on. The Bible says that the, the, our adversary, Satan, roams around like a roaring lion looking for who to devour. And what is he doing? He's looking for opportunities that he can take advantage of. He's looking for a gap that he can sneak in and cause some damage as a result. He's looking for, for, for circumstances that will allow him to come in uh, and cause some damage. It's not that we don't go through all of these circumstances or some of them. But my prayer is that we go through, but we don't allow the circumstances to be used by the enemy to cause a wound in our hearts. That we come through them, but because we are careful, we are diligent, uh, God, and we're submitted to God, he protects our hearts when we come through those circumstances. It's very difficult to come through a broken relationship uh, without damage to your heart. It takes the grace of God to, to be in a divorce, either as a child or, or, or a couple that's going through a divorce. This are opportunities that the enemy takes advantage of. To be betrayed, um, it's very difficult. To, have, to, be, to, to be in a relationship that should be a loving relationship, but rather than being a loving relationship, a place of safety, you find yourself 
in that relationship on the receiving end of something that is negative over and over again. All these circumstances, it's very difficult to deal with a long-term illness and, and somehow the enemy doesn't take advantage of it. So our prayer is that God, whatever we go through, give us the grace to do what we need to do to guard our hearts and ultimately by your grace protect us so that our hearts are not wounded by the enemy. It's almost like I, I, I see this picture of the enemy with arrows that he wants to shoot into our hearts, yeah? looking for the right circumstance to shoot those arrows into our hearts, those poison darts that carry the poison with them. And once they get into our hearts, they pollute our hearts. Uh, they, they cause damage. They wound our hearts. But then we are grateful for God. Somebody say with me, but God. Go on, say it boldly, but God. Go on, say it like you know what I'm going to say next. Say it authoritatively, but God. The psalmist says in Psalm 73 verse 26, My flesh and my heart fail. And we understand that. That sometimes we come to a point where our flesh fails, our heart fails. You know, coming out of the pandemic, a lot of us have had to deal with that. We dealt with it during the pandemic. Some of us lost loved ones. Uh, some of us, the, the, our social fabric was just totally destroyed. Not coming to church was challenging. Some of us haven't even recovered from that. And then the, the financial implications, it, the list goes on and on. But it might not even be the pandemic. It might be one of these life circumstances I've described where expectations might have been dashed, our hopes might have been dashed, where we are tired because we've been waiting and holding on for so long. These things provide an opportunity for the enemy to fire one of those his arrows that he hopes will get into our hearts. And sometimes we get to the point where we feel our heart is failing. I am tired. I am weary. I am overwhelmed. It's a bit too much. Sometimes we find ourselves on this treadmill trying to run faster and faster. But the faster we run, it would seem like we're not heading, we're not making any progress. Somebody understands what I mean. Sometimes we put this unbearable load on ourselves as we set high standards, such ridiculously high standards for ourselves. Sometimes our children suffer because we force our children to try and reach the standards that we feel we haven't reached ourselves. And when they don't measure up, we end up creating problems for them, even as we've created for ourselves. But God, somebody say that again. The psalmist says, my heart my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen? So it might fail or be failing, but God is the strength of my heart. I know that I will overcome because of God. I know that the wounds will be healed because of God. I know that I will cross over because of God. I know that I will get to the other side because of God. And you know, when you read the Bible, you find so many encouraging examples of people who probably had to deal with heart issues, but somehow God showed up for them. I think of people like Hagar, um, the, the maidservant of the matriarch of our faith, uh, uh, Sarah. I think of this, this, this young girl who was who was taken on as a maidservant, who just was 
minding her own business, trying to do her job as best as she could possibly. Um, and then she's, she, she's asked by her, 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 her madam to go and have a relationship with, with the master because the madam couldn't have children. And so the madam wanted to have children through her. And she goes ahead and has that relationship. And the result of that is a son, Ishmael. But then that changes everything. Um, she gets a bit stroppy because, a, a bit, you know, uh, she, she changes because she's had this child. And her madame descends on her, makes her life unbearable to the point where for peace in his home, Abraham says, whatever you want to do, just do. And she casts her out. And she has to take that child and go out into the, into the desert. You want to imagine the mix of emotions as she went. Uh, the certainty of death that was facing her. The hopelessness that she was faced with. You want to imagine how she thought, but I was just minding my business, just doing my thing, just trying to get on with life. I'm sure somebody understands what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, all hell has broken loose in my life and it wasn't my fault. And she's there with her child preparing to watch this boy die from starvation and from thirst. And suddenly God intervenes. May that be someone's story. That suddenly God intervenes. And God intervenes and in a conversation with her assures her that he's with her. That her son will be taken care of. That her son will... Will, will, will achieve certain things in this life. And not just him, but his generations after him. And when she has that encounter with God, this is what she says in Genesis 16 verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? I wanted to encourage someone that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with in your heart. It doesn't even matter what wounds the enemy has caused in your heart. The God who sees has seen you. And, and I want someone to believe that this morning, this afternoon, God is saying to you personally, I have seen you. And may your testimony be like Hagar's testimony. I remember uh, when I think about about, about wounded hearts. I remember the story of Hannah, and most of you know the story of Hannah, um, the prophet Samuel's mother. Um, if you read that story in 1 Samuel, the first chapter, you understand the pain that, that Hannah was in, and I'm sure somebody might be able to identify with this pain. Uh, she so desperately wanted a child. In those days, it actually mattered to the extent that the woman felt incomplete if she didn't have a child. And to make matters worse, she had penina. I'm, I'm sure we all understand the peninas that we sometimes have in our lives, who was ridiculing her, mocking her, insulting her, making her feel less than she was as a, as a human being, as a creation of God. And here she was in this pain, in this distress, holding on and reaching the end of her tether. Here she was just crying out to God. And what made matters worse was that the one person who should have understood Elkanah, her husband, didn't understand. As far as Elkanah was concerned, you know, 
in his own words, am I not more than ten sons to you? No, Elkanah, you're not more than ten sons to me. You don't understand. And sometimes we're there where we run to people who we think should understand the pain we're going through, the difficulty we're facing, the emotions we're dealing with. But they, they tell us in no uncertain terms that they're human when they don't understand. Sometimes it's a wife who doesn't understand where the husband is. Sometimes it's a husband who doesn't understand where the wife is. The list goes on and on. Sometimes it's a pastor who just doesn't get what the, 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 the member of the congregation is saying regarding their situation. But aren't we all glad that if human beings don't understand, God understands. Aren't we all glad that part of why Jesus came to this earth was so that he could he, he, even though he was God with all knowledge, he experienced it here on earth so he understands. What does Hannah do? A lesson for us. She runs to the temple. May that be a story that when things are falling apart, when we are wounded in our hearts, we are dealt with by life circumstances, what we do is turn around and run to God. She runs into the temple and 1 Samuel 1 verse 10 describes her state of mind. The Bible says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She was so wounded by what she had gone through that when the man of God saw her, the, the, the extent of the bitterness of her soul, he was convinced she must be drunk. But she wasn't drunk. She was just in pain. She wasn't coping well. Everything was falling apart. But then God stepped in. Someone say with me, but God. Go and say it one more time. Because that could be your story. Say it like it's your story. And the Bible tells us in verses 19 to 20 that Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. <laughs> the Lord remembered her. Can I speak over your life and pray over your life that the Lord will remember you? That, that even now, the Lord who never forgets declares to you that he has remembered you. And the list goes on and on. We could talk about Solomon um, talking about dysfunctional families and growing up in a toxic environment. Solomon has to take the Oscar, or, or David's children have to take the Oscar. And it's, it's interesting that yet it's the same David that God says, the man after my own heart. So someone who says, my past won't leave me alone. I, grown up, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. I grew up in a home full of challenges. Be encouraged by Solomon's story because his was mega dysfunctional. I mean, there was nothing as dysfunctional, I don't think, as David's family. Uh, one brother raped his sister. Another brother slept with the father's wife on the roof of the family home so that it was public knowledge. Another brother decided he wanted to dethrone the father. It was a complete mess. And he, Solomon, was born from a questionable relationship. You can imagine the rumors and the gossips that, that followed him. You can imagine growing up in this kind of crazy environment. This is toxicity. This is a dysfunctional family at its best. And some of us have been wounded as a result of our upbringing. 
were carrying wounds from growing up in a certain kind of home. From having a certain kind of father, a certain kind of mother, certain kinds of siblings. Sometimes they can't even help themselves. They grew up in a similar environment. But I love the Bible's testimony of the birth of Solomon. In 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter and the 24th verse, the Bible says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. That made all the difference. The fact that God loved him. And God's love for him was not conditional. He didn't call a committee. He didn't decide to love him because of what he had done. God loved him from when he was born. That love of God carried him through the toxicity, through the dysfunctions, and eventually to God's plan and purpose for his life. Can I say to someone that God loves you? That Solomon, Solomon, Solomon did not have the evidence that we have. Jesus Christ had not yet died. But we have the evidence that Jesus went to that cross propelled by nothing but his love for you and I. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you faced in the past, no matter what wounds you're dealing with in your heart, can I just say this to you and let it rest in your heart? God loves you. Can someone say amen if that is them? And you know, the list could go on and on. I thought about Gideon. I thought about this young man that had heard how God had been faithful to his nation. And here he found himself a second-class citizen living under the oppression of the Midianites. And you might not understand, if you've never been there, where you are a second-class citizen, where the things that are available to everybody are not necessarily available to you, where you're living in hiding, on the run. The Bible presents him to us beating corn in a cellar. He was risking suffocation from the beating of the corn because he needed to make food for himself and his family probably. And at the risk of being suffocated by, by beating corn in that cellar, he just needed to get some food. It was hard. It was a difficult life for Gideon as a second-class citizen. And then in the middle of that, the angel of God appears to him. Judges, the sixth chapter and the twelfth verse. The angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I can imagine Gideon saying, what on earth does that mean? The Lord is with me, but I am in this dead-end job. The Lord is with me, but my business is collapsing. The Lord is with me, but my marriage is challenged. The Lord is with me, but my children haven't, are not coming to the faith. They don't even like to come to church anymore. The Lord is with me, but I'm still dealing with this illness. How can the Lord be with me if I'm dealing with all this stuff? And sometimes the word of the Lord will come to us and our circumstances don't line up with the word of the Lord. If the Lord was with me, then why didn't I pass the exam? And then to make matters worse, the angel prophesies mighty man of valor. And he looks at himself, what is mighty about my circumstances? 
In verse 13, he actually blots it out, out of the abundance of the heart. He says, if my Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? It's a question that we will find ourselves asking at periodic times in our lives if we don't take it as the gospel truth that our circumstances doesn't determine whether God is with us. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Sometimes it's at the peak, sometimes it's in the valley. But believe me, in the valley and at the peak, God is with you. When it's dark, when it's light, God is with you. When, it's, when, when it rains and when it doesn't rain, God is with you. God is with you, period. Where, where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, he asks. And he comes to a conclusion by looking at his circumstances. And that's what will always happen if you look at your circumstances. If you listen to the voice of the wounds in our hearts, you will come to the conclusion that he came to the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And you know, when you allow the, the wounds in your heart to speak loud, they actually change your thinking. They change your psyche. Listen to the negativity. He starts to speak out of the abundance of his heart. He says, how can my Lord save Israel? He questions God's ability to do it. God's power to do it. He says, my clan is the weakest. And I'm the least in my father's house. You know, I pray that if any one of us has spoken out of frustration, out of anger, out of pain, out of a feeling of hopelessness, negative words, and there is power in words that have trapped us, shackled us, I pray over you, both in this congregation and, and our congregation online, that in the name of Jesus Christ, that the power of those words is broken over your life in Jesus' name. That none of those negative words will bear, any, will bear fruit any further in your life, no matter the circumstances you spoke them over your own life. And I pray that if any authority figure has spoken negative words over you, I pray that those words, the power of those words, is broken now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And I, I declare to you that God is with you as a child of his and you shall overcome those circumstances in the name of Jesus. And how can we talk about about wounds in the heart if we don't tell the story of the Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well. Her story tells it all. Five failed marriages. Five husbands. That is five rejections and more. Five failures and more. That is shame multiplied. The stigma of failure. The wounds in her heart are indescribable. The rejection that comes from a relationship that should have nurtured and brought out the best in you. Unthinkable what that woman had gone through. She'd reached a point of sheer hopelessness 
So that the sixth person she was with, I can imagine her saying to him, don't even bother with this marriage thing. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for me. And someone knows what I'm talking about. Where you've had to deal with repeated failure. Where you're carrying the stigma of something that hasn't worked. You're judging yourself. You see, the thing with, with that kind of, those kind of wounds is that after a while, you think you are to blame. It cannot be these five men. There must be something wrong with me. And that's where she found herself until she had an encounter with the master that changed it all. I pray someone will have that encounter today. Her case was worsened because not only was she dealing with this whole issue of rejection and failure and dejection, maybe even betrayal, she was also dealing with a racial issue. She was a Samaritan woman. And if you know the, the history, the Jews then looked down on the, on the Samaritans. But in one encounter, Jesus healed the wounds in her heart and gave her an identity in herself by the encounter with him. He broke, he destroyed all the rules that held him, that held the people back. A man with a woman, a Jew with a Samaritan, the savior with the saved, the wounded healer with the wounded. And the result of it was that that woman stepped into her calling and her destiny as an evangelist and evangelized the whole town. I pray that God will heal someone's heart today. That the wounds that have held you bound and held you down and prevented you from moving forward, that an encounter with God that starts today will bring healing to our hearts. And can I tell this story about wounds and hearts without talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, he was God. But he was also man, and it was important that he was man. Because the only way that he could pay the price was to have gone through what we would go through, yet without sin. And you remember that, that fateful day. The Bible records it in Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter, Verses 33 and 34. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now you and I think that the most painful thing that Jesus had to endure on our behalf were the nails that were driven through his hands. And doctors will tell you that the, the pain of nails in, in, a, in a person's hand is unbearable pain. The kind of pain that you and I will never experience. But that wasn't the most painful thing. Well, we might think it was the, the pain of the nails that were driven through his feet. Just imagine those long nails being thrust through, driven through, as his flesh stuck to the wood of the cross. Unbearable pain. But that wasn't the most painful thing. Well, could it be the crown of thorns that was pierced, put on his head and pressed into his head? Thorns all around his head. Blood streaming down his face. The pain as the th thorns 
really pressed into his brain. That wasn't the most painful thing. Well, someone might say it might have been the lacerations of the Roman soldiers. The Roman whip was notorious. The tongues on the whip would lacerate the flesh of a person. And he wasn't whipped once or twice. Not 10 times, not 20 times, not even 30 times. 39 times he was whipped for you and I so that we can say by his stripes we are healed. But that wasn't the most painful thing. Well, someone might say surely it had to be the spear that was thrust into his side. A gaping wound forms in his side. Blood and water gushes out as the spear is thrust into his side. That wasn't the most painful thing. The most painful thing was that the son called out to the father and the father for the first time didn't respond. The son, the Bible says, felt abandoned. A perfect relationship for the first time was suspended so that you and I could be reconciled to God. When we think about what Christ did for us, let's think about the cross but let's think about the awesome price that he paid, knowing that it was necessary for the father to temporarily turn his back on him so that you and I could now walk into the kingdom in the way that we have done. What an awesome price to pay. He also paid that price so that we can't say he doesn't know what it is. He knows what it is. He knows the pain that we feel. He knows the circumstances we go through. He's felt it. He knows what it is to desperately yearn for something and not get it. He knows. He knows what it is to be rejected temporarily by his father. He knows. That's why he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the beauty about all those stories that I told is that every single one of them turned to God. They had an encounter with God. Hagar had an encounter with the Lord who sees. Hannah ran to the temple and had an encounter with God. The angel appeared to Gideon and he had an encounter with God. The Samaritan woman went to the well and her life and her wounds were, were healed instantly. And Jesus himself called out to God. But for a period, God didn't respond. And then we know the rest of the story. That's why we celebrate in our faith Resurrection Sunday. So there might be someone here who's saying, you know what, I have wounds in my heart. You see, the, the, the thing with wounds in the heart is that God, can't, God not, is not going to do anything if we don't come. We've got to be able to say, I don't want to deal with it, but I'm carrying some wounds in my heart. You see, the nature of wounds is that you, you just want to pack it away. You want to sweep it under the carpet. You want to get on with life. You want to pretend like it doesn't exist. But the truth is that, as the doctors will tell you, if you don't deal with a wound, the wound starts to fester. It becomes worse. It can actually get putrid. So God says, deal with it. But how do we deal with it? We start by coming to him. And my prayer is that as someone comes to him this afternoon, the healer himself will start to perform surgery in your hearts. 
we are not designed to carry those wounds that circumstances have brought our way. He heals the brokenhearted. He mends the broken hearts. And as I end, if there's someone here who's saying, I hear you, someone who's watching online, part of our worship on our, our congregation online, worshiping with us, why don't you take the first step to that encounter? A lot of times, there's a physical dimension to a spiritual thing. And so wherever you are, don't worry about other people. You know, human beings, we've become experts at wearing masks. We can dress apart, look apart, talk apart. But really deep down, we are wounded. And now and again, out of the wounds in our hearts, we will speak. If there's anyone here who's saying, you know what? I want to have an encounter with him. Like that woman at the well. I'm going to the well. I want to pray for you with the rest of the pastoral team. I want to ask you to come forward. Don't worry about the person next to you. There's an African phrase, a Nigerian phrase. They say people are forming. Um, don't, don't worry if they are forming, which means they're kind of pretending. It's a bit of hypocrisy. But if you're that person, you know yourself. Come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward. Come, come, come. Come, we, want to, we, we believe that God can meet you here today and heal that wound in your heart. Come, come, come from wherever you are. Why, why, why can't God meet you here today? Why not? Why not? Let's stretch our faith and believe that you don't have to go the same way you came. Let's believe. Come from where you are. Come, come. And if I can have a ministry team, we're, we're going to pray from the bottom of our hearts. We stand with you. And can I say this? I, I feel led to say this. There might be some people here who have been offended by church. You've been hurt in church. Sadly, it might be in this church. And if, if, if you were hurt in this church, I ask for your forgiveness on behalf of this church. But it might be other churches. It might be someone who should have been a pastor, a vicar over your life. Somebody who should have been a spiritual mentor, but they hurt you. Come, come. Why don't we believe that the healing will start? Why don't we believe that as we pray with you, you will have an encounter? If I can have the, the pastoral team, the deacons and deaconesses come forward. Let's just pray one-on-one. -on -one. Can we pray? And as Ariola sings, I believe God that his healing grace will come down and start the work of healing the heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More, more people from the, from the pastoral team, please. More people up front. And why don't you pray for your brothers and sisters and those of you who are worshipping with us online. Some of our leaders and our hosts will be praying for you in the chat in the chat rooms and on the chat box and i join my faith with theirs i stand in the gap for you i pray that god's healing grace will rest upon you rest upon your soul i pray that the lord will start to heal the wounds in your heart i pray that freedom from those wounds that have held you back will come today in the name of jesus i pray that the spirit of god will move move wherever you are 
and touch you wherever you are. Come, come, come. Your, your stepping forward is your first step of faith. And we trust that God will meet you. That he will do it where you are. Of the living God. The Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The end is real. Jesus Christ, my And why don't you just pray for your brother and sister? you're not up front here or you're not in the chat or online just pray that God will move thank you Lord
as we come to the end of the service, if there's someone in this auditorium or somebody who, who's worshiping with us online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's the only one who can make that difference, the only one who can heal. Crucially, the only one who guarantees a salvation and reconciles us to God. Someone says, I want to know Jesus and invite him into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Would you just say this prayer with me and mean every word? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. Today, I accept him into my heart my life as my Lord and Savior. I turn away from anything that I am doing that is sinful as I embrace Jesus as my Lord. I declare by this prayer, Heavenly Father, that I am now a child of yours, born again today into your family and your kingdom. I pray in the name of Jesus. And together we all say, Amen. Amen. Now the Bible tells me that when this happens, I mean, this, you know, we need to learn a bit from what's happening in heaven. The Bible tells me that there's a celebration in heaven. The angels are rejoicing because new people have come. God's children have returned home. So let's just do that. Let's celebrate. Let's thank God for those who gave their lives online and those who gave their lives in here. Hallelujah. Amen.